0: It's one of our most important essential minerals and sits at the heart of oxygen transport and energy metabolism in the body. In today's podcast, I put the spotlight on iron, outline its key functions and explore the food factors that control how much of it we absorb. Because iron deficiency ranks as one of the world's most common nutritional disorders, I will go into detail of the consequences of this, how deficiency is tested for, and importantly, how it can be managed with diet and supplements. Welcome to the Thinking Nutrition Podcast. My name is Tim Crow, and I'm a career researcher, educator, and science communicator with most of this spent in the field of nutrition. How do you make sense of so much conflicting information in the field of nutrition? While I don't profess to have all the answers, in an area that is continually changing as research changes, you can count on what is covered in this podcast to be based on the whole field of nutrition science, not just selective areas that support a particular way of thinking and this podcast will always be free from any commercial product tie-ins endorsements or advertisements just credible nutrition science presented in plain and simple language and then translating this into what it means for your health so on with today's show iron it's one of our most important essential minerals and sits at the heart of oxygen transport and energy metabolism Iron's best known role is its part in oxygen transport through the protein haemoglobin, which you find in red blood cells. Haemoglobin is partly made from iron and accounts for about two-thirds of the body's total iron stores. Then there is the special protein myoglobin that helps store oxygen in muscle cells. Myoglobin contains iron and is responsible for the red color of muscle. Muscles are big users of oxygen during exercise, so myoglobin helps meet those demands for oxygen. Many enzymes in the body also feature iron as part of them, including those involved in energy production. And finally, a well-functioning immune system relies in part on sufficient iron in order to fight off infection. Many of the symptoms of iron deficiency can be seen to be directly related to its function in oxygen transport, energy production, and immune function. Iron is quite unique, as unlike many other nutrients, where there is an easy way for the body to excrete excesses of them, iron is held onto very tightly by the body. This means more iron is absorbed when iron stores are low, and less is absorbed when stores are full as a way to keep stores at a balanced level so iron status in the body hinges on how much of it is absorbed and for that dietary sources can alter this iron can occur in two forms in foods the first is heme iron which is found only in foods derived from the flesh of animals such as meats poultry and fish The second form is non-heme iron, which is found in both plants and animal-derived foods. On average, heme iron represents about 10% of the iron a person consumes in a day. Even though heme iron accounts for only a small proportion of intake, it is so well absorbed that it contributes to up to about a third of the iron absorbed in a typical omnivore diet. Overall, about 18% of dietary iron is absorbed from mixed omnivore diets. For vegetarian diets though, this figure drops to about 10%. This is because the vegetarian diet lacks the more absorbable heme form of iron, while also being high in food substances that can reduce the absorption of iron. In addition to dietary influences, iron absorption also depends on a person's health, stage in the life cycle and iron status, as well as individual genetic variations. Our bodies adapt very well though to changing needs. For example, in pregnant women who need the most iron, absorption can increase by 60% relative to pre-pregnancy levels. Now outside of animal-based heme iron, which is absorbed very well, vitamin C also enhances non-heme iron absorption from foods eaten in the same meal. It does this by capturing the iron and keeping it in the more soluble and absorbable ferrous form. On the other side of the coin, there are some dietary factors that bind with non-heme iron reducing its absorption. These factors include phytate, which is found in legumes, and whole grains. Phytate is the main storage form of phosphorus in many plant tissues, especially in bran and seeds. The vegetable proteins in soybeans and other legumes and nuts can also reduce iron absorption, along with polyphenols found in tea and coffee. While some studies have found that oxalic acid, which you find in spinach, silver beet and beetroot leaves, may reduce iron absorption, more recent studies find these effects are relatively insignificant. Calcium has also been considered an inhibitor of both heme and non-heme iron absorption, but recent research suggests that over a long period, calcium has a limited effect on iron absorption. But let's put all this into context. If you only ate to optimize absorption of nutrients, then you would starve to death, as all nutrients can interact with each other to an extent, by either increasing or decreasing absorption. So treat this as a case of swings and roundabouts, where inhibitors and enhancers may cancel each other out, particularly in a diet that includes a wide variety of foods. Knowing about iron inhibitors is more useful if you have diagnosed iron deficiency, in which case you may put a bit more attention onto them. For everybody else, best to carry on and ignore most of this and just enjoy food. So what about deficiency then? It is big news and why I've chosen iron as the topic of this podcast. Iron deficiency is the most common nutritional disorder in the world. As well as affecting a large number of children and women in developing countries, it is the only nutrient deficiency that is also significantly prevalent in industrialized countries like Australia. The numbers are huge. Almost 2 billion people, that's over 30% of the world's population, have anemia and many of these cases is due to iron deficiency. Depletion of iron stores and iron deficiency can occur in all age groups, but particularly in children, and also in women after the onset of menstruation, as well as the elderly, people following a vegetarian diet, and in disadvantaged populations such as indigenous Australians, refugees, recent migrants, and institutionalized people. Preventing and correcting iron deficiency are high public health priority areas. Iron deficiency though is not always caused by inadequate dietary iron, but may result from various medical conditions. Dialysis treatment in people with chronic renal failure can lead to loss of iron. Gastrointestinal inflammatory diseases such as Crohn's disease or celiac disease may impair iron absorption as well. Then there is iron deficiency arising from gastrointestinal blood loss. Excessive intake of zinc supplementation may also impair iron absorption. Just to focus a bit more on the vegetarian diet and iron status, as this gets a lot of attention. A 2018 review looked at the iron status in people following this way of eating, and I'll link to this study in the show notes. Now, on to the findings. Vegetarians, on average, do have a higher risk of having depleted iron stores. And at least globally, a higher proportion of vegetarians compared to non vegetarians have iron deficiency anemia. So, this is especially true for premenopausal vegetarian women. But, in an interesting turn, if you look at more Western countries like Australia, where we enjoy a varied food supply, Vegetarians are no more likely to suffer from iron deficiency anemia than non-vegetarians and this was the topic of a review paper in the Medical Journal of Australia which I'll link to in the show notes. Having low iron stores without iron deficiency anemia has not been shown to adversely affect normal body function to any greatest extent. Iron deficiency clearly only impairs function when hemoglobin concentrations are measurably decreased and this is what in fact anemia is. So iron deficiency is not a black and white thing. It develops in stages with anemia being the final result. For anyone that has had blood tests done to check for iron deficiency you may be familiar with some of the following from pathology test results. In the first stage of iron deficiency, iron stores diminish. This can be seen by a decrease in ferritin in the blood. Ferritin reflects iron stores and is a valuable initial indicator that stores are dropping. The second stage of iron deficiency is characterized by a decrease in the transport of iron. Here, blood iron levels fall while levels of the iron-carrying protein transferrin increase. Increasing transferrin is one way that the body compensates for low levels of iron. And how smart is the body? So together, measuring both iron and transferrin can determine the severity of the deficiency. The more transferrin and the less iron in the blood, the more advanced the deficiency is. The third stage of iron deficiency occurs when the lack of iron limits hemoglobin production. This is the stage called iron deficiency anemia. So remember, you can be low in iron, but not have anemia. Whereas iron deficiency anemia is seen with low hemoglobin and a low hematocrit. Now hematocrit is the percentage of the blood volume made up by red blood cells. In iron deficiency anemia, hemoglobin synthesis decreases, resulting in red blood cells that are pale and small. These cells can't carry enough oxygen from the lungs to the tissues. Without adequate iron, energy metabolism falters. The result is fatigue, weakness, headaches, apathy, pallor, and poor resistance to cold temperatures. Because hemoglobin is the bright red pigment of the blood, the skin of a fair person who has anemia may become noticeably pale. In a dark-skinned person, the tongue and eye lining, normally pink, is very pale. A battery of tests requested by a doctor that looks at iron, ferritin, transferrin and hemoglobin allow the honing in on the likely cause of anemia. Iron deficiency though is not always the cause of anemia, though as other nutrient deficiencies such as folate and B12 deficiency can also end up presenting as anemia. Hence why it is important to get this properly investigated rather than self-diagnose it and start popping iron supplements. So how much iron do you need each day? The recommended daily intake in Australia for men is 8 milligrams. For women in their reproductive years, however, this goes up to 18 milligrams a day. This higher requirement for women in their reproductive years is is because of the blood loss of iron from menstruation. Remember, most of your iron stores are found in the blood, bound up in red blood cells. Vegetarians need 80% more iron in their diet than meat eaters to make up for the lower bioavailability typical of their diets. Good plant-based sources of iron include green leafy vegetables, peas, and whole grains. Then we have enriched cereals, dried fruits, such as apricots and sultanas, and legumes. Combining these foods with foods high in vitamin C helps the body absorb the iron even better. So what about iron supplements? For someone who is iron deficient or at risk of developing it, then there can be the need for supplements, as well as an iron-rich, absorption-enhancing diet. Iron from supplements is less well-absorbed than that from food. So the doses usually need to be higher. The absorption of iron taken in the form of ferrous sulfate is better than that from other iron forms, so this is one to look out for. Absorption also improves when supplements are taken between meals, or at bedtime on an empty stomach, or with liquids other than milk, tea or coffee, which can potentially reduce absorption by a small amount. If you've been advised to take iron supplements, keep in mind that the most common side effect of iron supplements is dark coloured or black stools, so don't be alarmed by this change to your bowel habits. Other common side effects include nausea, vomiting, constipation and diarrhoea. Supplements should be taken exactly as advised by your doctor. The human body isn't very good at excretic iron and you could poison yourself if you take more than the recommended dose. The body stores iron very efficiently, and too much iron can be toxic. Symptoms of toxicity include nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, a rapid heartbeat, weak pulse, dizziness, shock, and confusion. As little as 200 milligrams of iron has caused the deaths of many young children and remains a leading cause of accidental poisoning in children. So, if you are taking iron supplements, keep them well out of reach of little hands and in a childproof bottle. Now, onto my research wrap-up segment, where I profile a study that has grabbed my attention during the week. Today, I'm going to look at a topic that is the bane of parents the world over, how to deal with a fussy eater. As any parent can attest, getting kids to eat their veggies can be a challenge. Now, new research finds that there is merit in the advice to not only repeatedly offer vegetables, but also to offer a variety of vegetables each time, rather than just focus on one vegetable at a time. Vegetables are a feature of dietary guidelines around the world, but in Australia, only a minority of adults and children reach the recommended number of servings of these foods each day. For children, an overall dislike for the less sweet and more bitter taste of vegetables can see them screwing their nose up at them. Food preferences, though, are mostly learned during childhood and these can then track into adulthood. So this is an important stage of life to instill good eating habits. Repeated exposure is a well-recognized way to increase vegetable acceptance in children. Just how effective this strategy was was the subject of a recent Australian study out of the CSIRO, and I'll link to this study in the show notes. The study was a randomized controlled trial which recruited 32 children between the ages of four and six years of age, and who were already eating a low amount of vegetables. The children were split into three groups. One group were exposed to a single vegetable, in this case it was broccoli, and they had it three times per week, for five weeks. Another group were exposed to multiple vegetables, which included broccoli, zucchini, and peas, over the same five-week period, while the third group served as a control group. Vegetable consumption was measured by a combination of meal records from a laboratory dinner, at-home weighed food records, and parental reporting. For the families that offered children multiple vegetables, there was an increase in the consumption by an extra 06 to 1.2 servings per day. No change in consumption was seen in families offering only a single vegetable, nor in the control group. Three months after the study finished, the children in the multiple serving of vegetables group were still eating more vegetables. So why is it so? simultaneous exposure to a variety of vegetables may be more effective than the one vegetable at a time principle because it reduces the boredom factor it may be a little hard for kids to get excited about broccoli and only broccoli if that's all they see at every meal adding color and variety to a meal with several vegetables may help promote the desire to eat more of them This small pilot study showed the strategy of offering not just one, but a variety of vegetables could be the key to getting kids to eat more. So for parents struggling to get their kids to eat their veggies, then the multiple veg strategy is certainly worth a shot. So that's it for today's show. You can find the show notes either in the app you're listening to this podcast on, if it supports it, or else head over to my webpage at thinkingnutrition.com dot, com, dot au, and click on the podcast section to find this episode to read the show notes if you find this podcast of value then please consider sharing it with your friends and colleagues or maybe even leave a review this all helps increase the ranking and reach of the podcast which means a big win for credible evidence-based nutrition messages while helping to dilute out the crazy and making the world a slightly less confusing place I'm Tim Crow, and you've been listening to Thinking Nutrition.